Hey, good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those in our live venue as well. If you have a Bible, go to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, that's where we're going to be in just a moment. We're continuing this morning in our mixtape series as we're looking at uh, some of the songs in the Bible that the Lord has given us for different occasions in our life. But while you're turning there, let me just say a quick uh, announcement. Uh, We've been sharing with you for the last several weeks and months about our Lakeville launch. Uh, We're going to be a church meeting in multiple locations, not just here in Burnsville, but also in Lakeville as well. Uh, We were wanting to launch with about 300 people, roughly uh, 100, 150 families, uh, individuals, and that's our goal right now. We're about halfway there, which is good, uh, given that we're just about halfway through the summer. But what we need to say to you, what I want to say to you is if, if you live in Lakeville, uh, if you live south, east, or west, I want you to assume you're going to Lakeville, okay? Um, I want your default thought to be to help be a part of our launch team, unless there is just a compelling reason that's holding you here in Burnsville, because that's where you live. That's the community that you're invested in. Now, some people have been on the fence, and they've been a little nervous about what, what does all this mean. Remember, this is not a church plant. This is still Berean. Same preacher, same programming, uh, same everything that is Berean. Just as we meet now in multiple services at one location, we'll have multiple services in different locations. It's really that simple, still Berean. So we want to push those of you that are on the fence, off the fence, in the direction of Lakeville and help be a part of our launch team uh, as we seek to launch at the beginning of October. If you need more information about being a part Part of that launch team, uh, go by our info table for Lakeville that's out in the Commons, or talk with Pastor Dan, who will be the campus pastor there in Lakeville, and get the questions that you have answered. And strongly encourage you to uh, uh, to make that a matter of prayer for you, for your family, uh, to be a part of uh, our Reach initiative to take the gospel beyond just Burnsville and into the rest of the South Metro. So we look forward to what God is going to do with that. All right, you ready for Psalm 34? Okay, let's do it. If you're able to stand, please do so for the honor of reading God's Word, Psalm 34. We're going to look at most of it this morning, uh, but for our scripture reading, we'll read through verse 8. The Word of God says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. This is God's word. Would you please pray with me now and ask God's blessing on our time together? Father, thank you for the privilege now of of learning from your word. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. So come and teach us. Uh, Give us a song to sing, a song of rescue. And there are some here this morning that need rescue in a lot of different ways from a lot of different things. So we turn our eyes to you, for you are the deliverer. 
work to the glory of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. It was the longest two months of their life, having no idea if they would ever get out. After all, they hadn't seen the sunlight for days. Having no idea if they would even have enough food to survive. They were, they were surviving on two spoons of tuna, one slice of peach, and one drink of milk every other day at noon. And, and maybe their greatest fear of all was, will I ever see my family again? Because nobody had ever been trapped for this long and lived. And as much as they tried not to be afraid, as much as they tried to kind of push the fear back, the truth is most of them were convinced they would never get out. I'm referring to the 33 miners that were trapped in Chile. You remember this made international news a few years ago when an explosion happened at a mountain and, and the main tunnel that was going down into the mine collapsed and 33 men were trapped 2,000 feet below the ground. They were essentially buried alive. They had no ability to communicate to the top they only had enough food for really three days that they had to ration off to try to survive. The airflow, the, the circulation of the air was cut off, and so that little room that they huddled in became so humid and so hot, they said it smelled like a grave. And they did their best to try to keep the spirits high. They'd tell jokes and share stories and one guy took a piece of cardboard and made a checkerboard to play games. And then every day they'd get together and they'd pray. One of the miners said this, quote, We prayed because there was a sense of powerlessness. We had no idea if anyone was going to rescue us. Little did they know there was actually a rescue team above that was consulting with NASA to put together a plan to rescue these men. In fact, what they did is they built a 13-foot-tall capsule, and they drilled a hole all the way down to where the men were trapped, and they would lower that capsule down, and they'd get one man, and they'd bring him up, and they'd send it back down and get another man and bring him up. And one by one, by one by one, every man was rescued. And when the last man was brought to the surface, all the people began to celebrate. That, faith family, is the joy of deliverance. Let me ask you, have you ever been trapped? Have you, have you ever felt like you were in a situation that you couldn't get out? Go ahead and pick your cliche. You were, you were in a, quote, tight spot. You had no place to go. 
you were in what they call a predicament. You were in a catch-22. You were out on the ledge. You were, as they say, in a pickle. Or you were stuck somewhere between a rock and a hard place. Whatever cliche you want to use, my guess is most of us know that feeling of being stuck somewhere where we can't get out. An addiction. Uh, An economic situation where we feel hemmed in. A relationship that never feels like it ever changes. And day after day, day after day, the, the feeling that it's ever going to be rescued, that you're ever going to be delivered, seems to get less and less and less. Let me tell you what, if you're here this morning and you've ever felt that way, if you're here this morning and you're in that situation right now, I have great news for you. There is a psalm for that. It's Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is a song of David that deals with the issue of deliverance and rescue. Notice verse 4. I sought the Lord and He answered me and, say this with me, and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and what? Saved him out of his troubles. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. Verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all them. In other words, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to figure out the point of this psalm. All you have to do is read it. Because over and over and over again, David is proclaiming God is a God who delivers. God is the God who rescues. Now, rescues from what? Now, we got to understand the background from which this psalm comes out of for us to really understand it. David is is writing this song at one of the lowest points in his life. He's been king of Israel, which is awesome, uh, but his predecessor, King Saul, is raging with jealousy. You may remember that David uh, won a very famous battle. Do you remember when nobody wanted to stand up against Goliath? And David was he just this little shepherd boy, this young shepherd boy, and he steps up and says, I'm not afraid. I'll fight Goliath. And he knocks him right between the eyes. And not only does he fall down, then David takes Goliath's own sword and cuts his head off. And David, in that battle, became an instant overnight success. He is more popular than Pokemon Go, all right? <laughs> I mean, just overnight, everybody's like, David, David, David. In fact, there was a little jingle that they used to say that would go like this. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. And all the spotlight was off of Saul. And he wanted revenge. So David's running for his life. Not like in Psalm 4 a few weeks ago when he was running from Absalom, his son. This is a different event that happened earlier in David's life. He is running for his life because Saul wants him dead. 
David ends up in a place called Nob. You'll notice on this map, this is actually the direction of David's life over the next few years. But he ends up, you'll notice here, in Nob. He goes into the temple. He's starving. He has no company. He has no uh, army. He has no food. He has no weapon. And he talks to a priest and he asks for something to eat. All the priest has is the temple showbread, but he gives him some bread to eat. And then David says, do you have a weapon? He says, well, the only weapon I have is the sword of Goliath. David's familiar with that sword. And David says, sure. And so he takes the sword. But here's what's interesting of what happens next. David flees from Nob, notice the map, and he runs to a place called Gath. Gath is a Philistine city that just so happens to be Goliath's hometown. David, what are you thinking? David walks into Goliath's hometown carrying the very sword that he used to kill Goliath. David has just jumped from the frying pan into the fire. You thought Saul wanted him dead. Now the people of Gath want him dead even more. And so they take him to the king. And David's convinced there's no way out. Are, 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 you, are you listening? There's no way out. He's stuck. This is the end. And so David starts acting insane. Notice on the screen, and you can go back and read the whole chapter later, but 1 Samuel 21, beginning at verse 12, what David does. This is nuts. David took these words to heart, was much afraid. Remember that, was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. In other words, David gives his best Gary Busey impersonation, all right? I mean, he just starts acting cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And then verse 14, then Akish said to his servants, behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? In other words, do I not have enough crazies around me that you got to bring me this one? And he said, he brought his fellow who behaves this as a madman into my presence. So this fellow come, come into my, shall this fellow come into my house? In other words, he ultimately lets David go. So David, in this tight spot, in this place of feeling like there's no way out, starts acting like this. Samuel 21. That's what David does. He just starts acting crazy. Bees, bees, bees. And the king is like, this dude's nuts. Let him go. And so David leaves town and he finds a cave. And it's there in that dark, cold cave that he starts to reflect on how God has delivered him out of a situation 
he thought he'd never get out of. Verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. In other words, David, in light of what God has done, takes this occasion, this moment to praise God for his deliverance. God, I want my life to be a life that in every opportunity, on every occasion, gives you thanks and gives you praise for your deliverance in my life. David stops and realizes that God's hand has been on me. God has delivered me. Notice that the focus of his praise in verse 2 is the Lord. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Now here's what I think is interesting there. David doesn't say, man, am I a great actor or what? Right? I'm better than Russell Crowe. Did you see what I just pulled off? No, 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 no. David understands right here, right here. His deliverance was not a result of his creativity. It was a result of God's sovereignty. God had delivered him from the people of Gath. God had delivered him from the hands of Saul. And so all credit, all glory, all praise goes to what? God. He wants to praise continually. He wants to praise God, not his own self. Number three is notice how he wants this praise to be in the fellowship of others. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. In other words, this is such a word for us. David does not want to keep his praise. He does not want to keep his testimony to himself. What I want, I don't want to be in this cave. I want to be with the people of God. I want to share my story. I want to share about God's deliverance for the edification of God's people. Our culture says you can have faith, just keep it private. But there is no such thing as a private faith. Don't tell me to be quiet about Jesus because when I've been delivered by Jesus, I can't be quiet about Jesus. Come on, I'm about to start preaching in here. Come on. Listen, David is saying, I have been delivered by God from a situation I thought I'd never get out of, and I can't be private about that. I want the world to know of my deliverer. You see another example of this in Psalm 40. Flip over just a couple of of pages to Psalm 40. You'll see the same point, which is this, right? When you experience God's deliverance, you cannot keep it to yourself. In Psalm 40, look at verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. In other words, I was stuck. I was in a pit. And he delivered me. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. Sounds like Psalm 34. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So David Uh, recounts the deliverance of God in his life, but then notice verse 9. Here's the point I'm trying to make. I have told the glad news of what? Deliverance. Deliverance 
in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. In other words, I can't be silent about the deliverance of God in my life. Church, when's the last time you gave public testimony to the work and rescue of God in your life? Because when God has really delivered you, there's no way you can keep it to yourself. David's life is a public song of the God who delivers. Is yours? David wants to do this all the time. And he wants all the glory, all the boasting to be to God and not his own creativity. And he wants to do this publicly to testify to God. And notice, fourthly, what I would call the flavor of his praise. In other words, this is one of the lessons he learns from deliverance. Oh, taste and see. There's where I get the word flavor. Taste and see that the Lord is good Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, this is a sermon in and of itself, so Lord, help me. Give me clarity in this moment. David learned the sweetness of God's goodness through deliverance. Now, I got a feeling that didn't hit you. We have a tendency to take this verse, taste and see that the Lord is good, and it comes with flowers, and it's just so sweet. But this verse didn't come out of a good situation. But even though his situation was bad, you know what he tasted? The goodness of God! In other words, taste and see that the Lord is good is the testimony of the helpless when they've experienced deliverance. Faith family, a crisis in your life is just an opportunity for you to experience God in a way you have not previously known Him. Somebody say amen to that, all right? A crisis in your life is nothing more than an opportunity for you to experience the goodness of God in a way you previously have not known. God has David right where God wants David because might I remind you, this whole situation came about because of David's obedience. David was just doing what he was supposed to do as king of Israel, like fight off the enemies of God. And his obedience got him in a situation where he needed rescue and it was in that rescue that he learned he tasted a new flavor. I love that imagery of the goodness of God. Because God's goodness has more flavors than Baskin Robbins. You write that down right there. That's a good point, all right? You 31 flavors, that ain't nothing. And some of you have been walking with Jesus for so long that you've tasted different flavors of His goodness all along your journey because of His hand of deliverance in your life. Is that not awesome? Man, you're in a crisis right now and you feel stuck. Here's what I would say to you. And remember, David's not here because of his disobedience. He's not here because of his sin. He's here because he's been obedient. And some of you are there, and let me just tell you, you're there because God wants you there. 
And He's going to teach you something about Himself you would have never known otherwise. And you ought to this morning give praise to God for that. David did. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. He learned that from a situation he never thought he'd get out of. Let me, let me end this and then we'll move to the second. Not end the sermon. Oh, you're not that fortunate, all right? I, some of you are like, whoo, shortest sermon ever. No, 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 not so fast. I want to end this point by saying this. The point is, the psalm is a praise of deliverance. You with me? If David can do this after being delivered from Saul and the people of Gath, how much more for those of us who have been delivered from sin? How much more those of us who have been delivered by Jesus Christ but through salvation? You see, we've been delivered from more than just Saul. Amen? We've been delivered from more than just the people of Gath. Listen to what Paul says in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. That Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Anybody can get excited about that? Anybody like just want to say hallelujah? Anybody want to say that's my story, that's my song, that I was in the kingdom of darkness, I was in the domain of the evil one, but God delivered me through Jesus Christ and now I'm in the dominion of His Son. Now I'm in the kingdom of Christ all but by the power of God. My friend, listen, I'm, this car is just getting warmed up. Well, listen, listen, a Christian is not someone who's just made a decision for Jesus. A Christian is someone who's been delivered by Jesus. And when you've been delivered by Jesus, brother, you can't help but praise. I wonder how many songs of praise we're singing because of the deliverance of God in our life. Now here's the question. It's always a danger when I try to get you into my mind. All right? And again, don't stay long. Okay? But, but I, I'm, I'm preparing this text. I'm pouring over this text. And I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking this. But what was David delivered from? Hang with me. Some of you are here today just for this. Because David's writing this song while he's still in a cave. He's not back in Israel sitting on the king's throne. If he goes back to Gath, guess what? They'll want to kill him. If he goes back to Saul, guess what? He'll want to kill him. And here he is stuck in a cave, and you're saying he's delivered? Delivered from what? This is powerful. Verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Every eye right here. God did not immediately rescue David from his circumstances. He immediately rescued David from the fear of his circumstances. 
That's powerful. Because some of you right now, it doesn't mean that immediately overnight you're going to be out of whatever you're stuck in. But it does mean that in this moment, in the presence of God, you can be set free from fear. And isn't that, after all, the most common response we have when we're stuck? I mean, you could even be stuck in a Minnesota winter, and there's that fear of how am I going to get out? Here's, here's an interesting Bible study. I don't have the time to do it this morning, but go back and look at how many times in the Bible God had to come to people and say, do not be afraid. We're talking Abraham. We're talking Moses. We're talking the people of Israel. We're talking the Apostle Paul. We're talking the disciples. We're talking about Mary and Joseph over and over and over again, the natural feeling, emotion when we feel like we're stuck is fear. In fact, I would submit to you that we come out of the womb, we are born, and our first response is fear. Now, why is that baby crying? Is that baby crying because of like grief? Like, it's, I'm so sad, I don't want to be here, like I want to be back home. Is, is it, no, it's not grief. Is it doubt? Like, I'm not really sure about this place, right? No, that baby's crying because of fear. Where am I? Who are you people? Why'd you slap me? Where are you going to stick that? Like, it's, it's like after nine months of being comfortable, now all of a sudden I'm in a whole new place around a whole bunch of people. I have no idea what's going on. And the very first response you have out of the womb is fear. And that emotion keeps going throughout your life, doesn't it? Everything was comfortable. Everything was fine until the medical report. Everything was going along fine until you were laid off. And now all of a sudden, questions like, what if it's cancer? What if they foreclose? What if the violence in America continues? What if he or she gets elected? What if our daughter continues on drugs? What if I lose our health benefits? Fear, fear, fear. The other word the Bible uses for that word is anxiety. And everybody in this room has felt it. It is a common response when you feel stuck, and David knows it very well. I don't have time to go through every verse. Jot these down if you're taking notes. David knows poverty in verse 6. He knows hunger in verse 10. His spirit has been crushed in verse 18. He knows affliction in verse 19. Think about this. Think about this. David, a warrior, a man willing to go up against Goliath, a man who fought lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, a man who was a man after God's own heart, is in a dark cave afraid. So how is he delivered? I'm going to give you three things. Jot these down. Here's what's going to determine when you're stuck, when you're in the miry bog, when you're in the pit and you can't get out. Here are the three things that will determine whether or not you are delivered or destroyed. Are you with me tonight? Are you with me this morning? Right? These are the three things that's going to determine whether or not you are delivered or destroyed. Here's the first one. How you fear. How 
you fear. Or you could even say who you fear. Because look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Verse 9. For those who fear him, that is the Lord, have no lack. I will teach you to the fear, verse 11, of the Lord. In other words, you overcome fear with fear. You overcome fear with fear. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Here's the point. Lord, Lord, set us free. Worldly fear or human fear is when we are overwhelmed by the weight of our circumstances. Godly fear is when we are overwhelmed by the weight of who God is. You have to fight the fear of what you're facing with the overwhelming weight of the character of God. And then in that moment, all the things grow strangely dim in the light of what? His glory and grace. Your greatest fear is not cancer. Your greatest fear is cancer without God. Your biggest fear is not economic problems. Your biggest fear is economic collapse without a provider. Your biggest fear is not death. It's facing death without the one who defeated it. And so you fight fear with, say it, fear. The fear of God. The weight of who He is. Number two, it's not just how you fear, but it's how you fight. How you fight. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around. This is so key. Encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. I make a motion for 30 more minutes from this sermon. Can I, can I get a second? All right. All in favor say aye. aye. I wish. I wish. All right. There, oh, faith family. Oh, there's so much in this verse. Let me summarize it. The angel of the Lord encamps around that imagery. When you are afraid, when you feel like you're stuck, and that common response is anxiety, there are three options really that you have. Number one is you can give in, you can give up, and you can just fall to your fears. Number two is you can just try to fight, fight your way out in your own strength, right? I mean, it'll be like those miners trying to dig their way out of 2,000 feet. It ain't going to happen, but you can try. Or number three, listen to this. Please listen to this. You can let God fight your fear for you while you remain faithful to him. Here's where I get that imagery. I really do need the other 30 minutes, but I don't have the time for it. It's this. The imagery of the angel of the Lord encamps around them is actually the image of a shield. Now, in the ancient Near East, they had two different types of shields. One was like a really small shield 
that they would use, particularly when they were on offense. Right, you don't want this big hunking shield when you're also trying to swing a sword, right? So there'd be a small one. But then there was this big shield, even bigger than this and even more curved than this is. And the, the purpose of this shield was for it to be, are you listening, say yes, around you. And the way you would fight, get this imagery in your mind, is that you would get behind the shield and you would keep moving forward in battle while the arrows hit the shield. You're not passive. You're not doing nothing. You're moving forward, but something has come around you to protect you and defend you in the war. That'll preach. What, what the Word is saying here is when you put your fear in God, He protects you and He fights for you so that you don't have to be afraid. That was worth your price of admission right there, okay? The, 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 the way I overcome fear is not only do I fight it with fear of God, but I fight not in my own strength, but I, I stay obedient, I stay faithful to what God's called me to do, and I'm going to let Him fight the cancer. I'm going to let Him provide for my economic situation. I'm going to let Him get me out rather than trying to get myself out. You're never going to overcome fear if you try to fight your fears. But when the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him, He delivers them. How you fear, how you fight, and thirdly, and I won't take long on this because I've already mentioned, is how you fellowship. How you fellowship. This psalm, again, is a psalm that longs to be with the people of God. I mean, you read it throughout and it's, let it's do, let's do this together. Let's magnify the Lord with me. I'll just make this point by this one sentence. Isolation is the last place you need to be when you're alone. Oh, Lord, that some of you would come out of the cave today. And let your struggles be known. That cave of addiction, that, that cave of circumstances that you have been stuck in for so long. And you need, you need the people of God to be with you, to walk with you, so that you don't have to be afraid. Do you want to defeat fear in your life? Fight it with the fear of the Lord. Let God fight your battles for you as you keep staying faithful and obedient to Him. And you do that among the community of God to encourage you and to edify you so that you know you're not alone. David expresses the praise of deliverance because he'd experienced peace through deliverance. And I end with this. So who is this deliverer? Who is this deliverer? Who is the one that can deliver us when we are stuck? Look at verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. 
Not one of them is broken. Now, if you've been around Berean for very long, you know what's happening at this point. You're like, he's going to Jesus. And you think I'm stretching this, right? You think I'm just pulling this out. You know, it's like I've got to do it or it's not a sermon, right? Well, actually, that's true. But <laughs> that really is true. All right? It's, uh, am, am I just forcing this or is the psalm pointing you somewhere? Let me ask you this. Does the words that I just read sound familiar? The righteous one who was afflicted, yet none of his bones were broken. Listen to John 19, verse 34, so you know I'm not making this up. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And the word says, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it is born witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. You don't have to take my word for it. Take the Apostle John's word for it. Psalm 34 is pointing you to the true deliverer. What is his name? His name is Jesus Christ. And he can and he will deliver you today if you will look to him. Faith family, the story of the gospel is that you and I are like those 33 men who are trapped underneath the ground. Only we have been trapped under the weight of our sin. And no matter how hard we try, we cannot save ourselves. Our chance of survival is 0%. But just because you can't get out doesn't mean someone can't get you out. You see, up above, God put together a plan a rescue plan to put His Son in human flesh to send Him to the earth to die on the cross for our sins. And He was placed in a stone tomb beneath rock. But it didn't take 69 days for Him to be delivered. No, three days later He walked out of the grave so that if you will put your faith in Him, if you will turn from your sin, He will deliver you. He will deliver you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He will deliver you from the slavery of sin to freedom in Christ. And if that day happens today in your life, you know what the Bible says? There will be rejoicing in heaven. It will be the sound of the joy of deliverance. Are you stuck? Do you feel caught between a rock and a hard place? Do you feel like there's no way out? The good news of the gospel is this. You don't have to fear. Jesus is able to deliver you and He is able to put in your heart a new song. A song that goes like this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. For blessed is the one who finds refuge in Him. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this 
psalm. Where would we be without this truth this morning? There are some here today that need deliverance. They need rescue. They are in a cave. And maybe nobody else even knows it. They are struggling with things. They are afraid of what might happen. They are anxious and worried. Today, the Word of God tells us that you are powerful. You are able to deliver us. Even if it's not from our circumstances, it can be from the fear of our circumstances. So may we look to you. May we experience the joy of deliverance. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.